Glory be to Jesus Christ. Uh, thank you for joining us today on The Orthodox Show. Um, to begin, uh, let's start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Name the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Name the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Heavenly King, Advocate, Spirit of Truth, who are everywhere present and fill all things. Tree of blessings, bestower of life, come and dwell within us. Cleanse us of all that defiles, and O good one, save our souls. Name the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Name the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Name the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. Christ yes. is among us. Thank you so much for joining yes. me today. Jer it's the one and only, the paleocrat, Jeremiah Bannister. And for those of you <laughs> who may not know of him and love him or hate him, as many do, I'll introduce, yeah, yeah. introduce him briefly here. So Jeremiah <laughs> yeah, yeah. is a Catholic journalist and YouTuber, a veteran of the U.S. Navy, and a former TV radio personality. Shortly after resigning his position as personal aide to the founder of New Jersey League of America Families Lobby Group, Jeremiah enrolled at Olivet College in Michigan, where he earned his bachelor's degree in journalism and mass communication with a minor in political science. He also received recognition from the Leadership Institute, Institute in Washington, D.C. as one of the nation's top student activists for his role as president of Olivet Young Americans for Freedom. His work is co-host of the Bannister and Sotheby TV show and first creation of Paleo Radio, an AM-FM talk show focused on politics, religion, and culture. By the time he graduated, he'd been awarded the school's top honor in three different categories, creative writing, public speaking, and political science. After college, Jeremiah pursued many journalistic endeavors. He served as a contributing editor at the Distributist Review, where he wrote about Catholic social teaching. He vetted and published a number of investigative reports exposing unethical behavior within the Battle Creek Police Department, some of which resulted in state police investigations. And he continued hosting Paleo Radio, which has now aired on stations in both Michigan and Tennessee. As a public speaker, Jeremiah has presented before audiences at Michigan State University, Ferris State University, Make-A-Wish Michigan, Campbellsville University, and elsewhere. He and his wife have been covered by Fox 17, WWMT News Channel 3, The Battle Creek Inquirer, Dogma Debate with David Smalley, The Reasonable Doubts Podcast, News Talk 95.3, and many others. Jeremiah currently works as editor and chief of editor and chief of Paleocrat Diaries, updating the site whenever he isn't too busy writing his book, which details his firstborn daughter Sammy's life and death with childhood brain cancer and how God used that tragedy to lead Jeremiah and his family back to the faith. He resides in Grand Rapids, Michigan, with his wife, four kids, and their cats, and St. Bernard Coco. Welcome, Jeremiah. It's five now. It's five. I've got to update it, man. And that's <laughs> there you go. And that's the there long bio. You, you use the long form, man. That's good, though. That, <laughs> hey, that's, hey that, you're the first one, I think, to use the long form one. Oh, wow. Uh, but yeah, I, I was like, man, I've done, I've done a few things. <laughs> But no, we have a new, we have a new, right? And so the new kid uh, on the block is Wolfgang Phoenix. And Lee, ever. <laughs> and uh, and uh, he's, he's a strong little dude. He's a little brute. 
Oh, He's man. about nine months old now, and oh, so I have to, I have to update it. I gotta update it. There you go. You got thank it. Thank you, man, for having me on the show. You're so welcome, Jeremiah. And I don't know if you're familiar with the former Canadian um, Catholic uh, radio host and now sort of uh, presenter and, and commentator Patrick Coffin, but he's famous for his opening line of "Nomen est omen," and so I'm gonna I'm gonna steal that from him. Please don't sue me, Patrick um with yourself <laughs> because i mean there's yeah. a lot that was there was a lot that was left out of the of the introduction i gave you and my question is jeremiah through your faith journey and and all that's all that that has entailed do you feel like the prophet jeremiah has you know his his life story his lamentations have any sort of connection or impact on your personal life I think we lost Jeremiah. Yes. <laughs> the prophet Jeremiah and, and me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely a weeping prophet, you know, like, and I, I'm not really, um, I, I joke around. I weep a lot. That's, that's a fact. Um, and I, I, um, relate to the lamentations. I relate to, uh, living in a time that's wicked, bad, where people, uh, they're not reading the writing on the walls, right? Now, you don't need, you know, magical eyeballs to do this. I think some of it is simply open up a history book, right? Um, and But that's one of the things that we learn is that people don't learn from history. They're not, they, these things happen over and over and over, and it seems like we go through the same exact cycles, and everybody thinks that they're this magical snowflake that is unique, and that it's not going to happen to us. <laughs> and you right. go, well, it happened to some people better than you. <laughs> so if it did to them, you know. And so, but you live in those times. And, and I've struggled. I've wrestled with God uh, in ways like that where I, I felt, you know, I felt like God is real distant. And mm -hmm. that, you know, here I am kind of crying out. And in some cases, you know, it was early on for some of the stuff. Like a lot of things people talk about now are things that, that I was talking about even before Andrew Breitbart, you know, but I, and right. so uh, talking about critical race theory and things like that on mm -hmm. uh, the, the impacts of multiculturalism right. um, when talking about that and globalism and everything else. So, but when you, when you talk about that and you're kind of ahead of the curve, it's cool. And it's also not cool. <laughs> so, cause, cause you're like, well, you know, all these people later end up talking about, and you're like, man, you're like Tucker, you're like four years behind me, bro. Like, I love the guy, <laughs> but he's popular. So I'm glad, I'm glad he's talking about it. Cause he's yeah. got a bazillion people listening. And, um, but, uh, I, I've always had, I've always felt a kind of, um, connection whenever reading, of Jeremiah the prophet. In fact, we, my sister, she's Orthodox. She's Eastern Orthodox. Oh wow! And she uh, gives us uh, icons all the time. So she has a lot of different icons. In fact, I encourage people as an aside, please pray for her. Absolutely. Um, she's actually going through radiation today. Um, it's the first time. Mm -hmm. uh, she was diagnosed about three, four years ago, almost with stage four breast cancer. Oh. Um, and they said she had a year to live. So, I mean, she's rocking out so far oh, and she God. did it without chemo, without radiation. She glory did a different God. route for that. Um, but it's gotten to such a point in the brain, the tumors mm -hmm. in the brain, uh, that she's, wow. she's now doing a certain kind of radiation, um, okay. but uh, a certain technique, but, yeah. um, she gave, she, she bought me an icon of the prophet Jeremiah, you know, you know and, and so that, that's a, that's a really great, um, thing to mention too, cause I don't. Like I grew up Roman, Roman right, you know, a, a Ukrainian family, Byzantine family, but 
because of the accidents of history, I was Roman right. And, you know, I never really, I never really grew up with a sense of the Old Testament prophets and patriarchs and judges being saints, you know, the same way that you would pray to, you know, St. Anthony or something like that. You know right, what I'm saying? Right. And it wasn't yeah. until I really delved back into my ancestral right, the the Byzantine, the Byzantine right, that I was like, you know, like the Eastern, the Eastern Christians pray to the Old Testament prophets. Like, I don't, and this, 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 I don't know that I'm not trying to scandalize people, but like in the Eastern, in the Eastern martyrology, if you will, the, you know, the people who are saints are Adam and Eve. Like I have, a, I know a priest who's a Byzantine church of America um, down there in Phoenix and his name is Adam and his patron saint is Adam, you know, the cause of the fall of man. He is, he is a glorified saint and he's prayed to. And yeah. like, when I, when I learned about that, I'm just like, well, you know, like growing up, you know, going to Catholic school, going to Roman right, you know, church and catechism, like you sort of almost think that like Adam is like this guy who's like, should be in hell, but like sort of isn't. And like, it's not besides that it's like not talked about, but yeah, no, in, in right. the, it's like, here's a, here's an icon of St. Adam. Here's an icon of St. Eve pray to them, exactly. venerate their icons, you know? Exactly. You know, and it's one of those things that <clears throat> I really appreciate. Uh, and I, I've, I've always had a, a connection with the East. I've always said that I'm a, a Catholic that breathes with both lungs. I've liked that phrase. Oh, um, and so I've always, in fact, when I was a, a Protestant pastor and I was going through this whole journey online and writing about it and blogging about it and stuff, uh, I was really divided because I had a lot of Orthodox people and Eastern Catholic people and Catholic people, mainly Latin mass types, that were speaking with me. And one of the things that I always connected with uh, was the Old Testament. I was a, a theonomist. And so I was one of those um, that studied the application of the law in modern times and modern economics oh, okay. and yeah. legal theory yeah. and stuff like that. Wow. A Christian reconstructionist. But the idea of continuity between the old and the new, right? The, the, the fulfillment of that in us um, and that we are that priesthood, we are that holy nation. That was something that, that really appealed to me and, and I, I didn't understand. I was a little confused as to why the West didn't refer to them as saints, even though they considered them as part of, that, part of the, the seed of Abraham, right? And that we are, yeah. we are grafted into that. Right. And so, you know, we're grafted into this thing. And, I, and so I, I've always loved how the East does that and how the Eastern Catholics, and we go to a Ukrainian Catholic church if we're not serving at the Latin Mass. We, we have a, a diocesan Latin Mass here, and so we serve in there. And then oftentimes when, they're, when we're not serving, we'll go over to St. Michael's. Glory to and, God. Uh, and so we, we always appreciate that, and it's something I've always felt a real connection with the, the people in the Old Testament. I've always felt not just a connection, but family, right? That yeah, this absolutely. is family. This is our family tree. And absolutely. so... I agree with you totally. That's why I got the icon on the mantle, man. Got, <laughs> you know, St. Jeremiah. Yeah, pray I, for I'm, us. Yeah, pray for us. And I, I include them in my, I have different chaplets that I do. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I modify and I'll, you know, like the, the little flower chaplet. Mm -hmm. And so I'll go through and on each bead, you do a glory bee, right? Right. And so when you, when we do, when I do that, I'll pray and I will invoke a saint on each bead. And I'll pray for something Great. related to what the saint is known for, you know, whatnot. Right. And Jeremiah, of course, is always is always part of that. Oh, um, glory to God. Yeah. And you so, know, I think that that actually that actually segues us perfectly into the topic of today's uh, podcast, Jeremiah, because 
it has a lot to do with with our history with the old testament and and um where we find ourselves today in the church and that's that's the relationship between the church and the state or the people of god and the state and so i don't know maybe i can start by just getting your sort of high overview thoughts on that subject like obviously anyone who's familiar with the bible will know that there's a complicated sort of marriage between you know god's people and the secular state and we've sort of inherited that in in the church and what are you what are your your thoughts and and feelings on on that well i think that um you know when talking about this there's a lot of confusion especially for modern Catholics, especially for modern Western Catholics, who are uh, kind of wrapped up in ideas of democracy, um, where the origin of civil authority comes from, what the nature of the state is, and what the purpose, what's the aim of it. And, and these things, starting there, that, that's where you, um, it's presupposed. And so these are, these are things that are at the beginning of our logic in regards to our relation to the state. So it doesn't flow from us backward, right? It says, well, what it, what is the nature of it? What is the source of it? What is the authority of it? And therefore, what then is the aim of it? And what is our relation within that aim, within that structure? And how ought we to uh, think toward it or feel toward it? And so, you know, going through, you know, and... In, in the West, you know, the Catholic Church has written an enormous amount of encyclicals and a lot of them pertaining to these very things. And so, you know, I went through, I actually have, I'll show you real quickly here. And sorry for smoking a cigar, man, on your show. No, man. Oh, uh, yeah. One of the things, okay, quick, si yeah. quick side. Yeah. Um, when I, um, I, I don't talk a lot about this um, on the show, but I, I was discerning monastic life in a Roman Catholic religious community. And um, I met my wife and departed from the community. But one of the things I did after departing, because I mean, I was like 21 years old when I left. And um, I, I always felt like, you know, my mom smoked growing up, smoked growing up. And I'm just like, you know what, I'm an adult, I'm an adult now, I can try smoking if I want to, even if it's bad for me, I was a, being I was a little bit rebellious then. Mm -hmm. And but my wife and I were kind of in the dating stage. And I was smoking cigarillos and things like this. Uh, I know that in the state, I know that Biden is now um, uh, outlawing menthols. That, that's kind of when I yeah, first started yeah. in, in Canada, right before they outlawed flavored, um, flavored. Uh, like the jarums and cloves. Yeah. And, yeah, 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 yeah. Just, you know, but the kind of the, the cheapo stuff. But anyway, but I was, I would smoke one of those and, um, you know, then go over to, to visit my, my, my to-be wife. And she'd be like, like dude if you smoke don't don't come visit me oh, she's, no, like, I, yeah. she's like i i can't stand the smell yeah, you know yeah. the, the smoke and actually if i smoked like near her around her she she has an allergic reaction and so i had to make the choice i said yeah, yeah do i want to spend time with the love of my life or do i want to smoke so i haven't it's smoked a given <laughs> you're, you're done dude your smoking days are over brother you're done <laughs> i'll make up for the lag dude i that's what i'll do i'll make up for the lack i will smoke thank you thank it, yeah, you and, and it won't it won't get anywhere near and stuff you know <laughs> no the last and, time uh, the last time i smoked jeremiah was after our second was born i asked my wife yeah. i said can i as as a celebratory thing can i just go out and buy some cigars and she's like yeah but again, it was the same it. thing. It was like, so you're in the backyard and yeah, yeah. when you're done, you have to take a shower and yeah. I'm not going to 
come near your face and i'm just like okay yeah no kissing for like two days man. <laughs> yeah because <laughs> yeah, they can it, it sticks around you know especially I, um, if you've got a beard and stuff like that yeah yeah when i when i lived in canada that's the last thing i'll say about when i lived in canada i, I learned the the joys of um what were they beaties is what they were called they were the little uh, rolled cigarettes and then a uh, uh, parliaments i i because they don't sell they didn't sell parliaments the brand in the united states but they sold them in canada and so I went to school in Vancouver, and uh, I, I loved parliaments. But I was saying, with uh, the encyclical tradition, right? So the Pope's writing all these different things. I've, I, I, this is years old, but I, I print them out. I've got in the, in the margins, you know, stuff about universal rights, the new order of society, reconstruction. And it's all different Popes going back quite a ways. Um, uh, a lot of people will start at Rerum Navarum um, with... Uh, yeah. Yeah, but the, it goes even it goes even earlier than that. I mean, mm -hmm. the so much of what the popes have written, and so when talking about you know the the um, the origin, right? So I said there's origin, there's purpose with aim. Uh, what are the aims of it? Things like that, uh, and of course what what it supports and what it's opposed to. Um, when you talk about the origins of civil power, here's some things that are said. Um, it belongs to church juris jurisdiction to set forth what Catholic truth demands of everyone in politics. And this is a quote. Um, Thus making it clear by what way and means measures may be taken. So the church supposes, right? And in fact, doesn't just suppose, insists that it has competency. It has jurisdiction on it. Um, and so they, there's never like, well, maybe we shouldn't talk about this, which is why it's so weird when people in the comment section come on my show and they're like, why are you talking about politics? Why aren't you just praying? Well, in part because they specifically say that you shouldn't do that. <laughs> like the popes have said, you should not just do that. In fact, you need to be, you need to be rather uh, serious because these are grave matters and these concern the temporal order and the temporal order means something. Um, the prince or the head of, of a state is essential, that there's a hierarchy, that without this, societies dissolve. Um, you have to prior, there are those who prioritize liberty greater than is just, um, and they contend that the state power originates with the will of the people. The church is opposed to this, okay? And Catholics affirm that the right to rule is from God. It's a natural and necessary principle. Um, and unless, unless this is understood and adhered to, the state will, and the statesmen who are involved, and the citizens who have a relationship with that state will fail to reach the end or aim for which it was created. And by, by, by it, we're talking the government. The, the church speaks of the government as, as like an organic thing, like it, that it's, a, it's, a, it's an organism. It's not just this uh, contract of the people that people came together and said, well, let's just make this thing up. Um, and so it speaks of it as, as an object. The aim would be, and this is where... A lot of people, they just don't get it. You know, the aim, and again, these are taken from encyclicals, the orderly reconstruction and restoration of society to humanize and Christianize the civilization. This is John the 23rd. This is 20th century stuff. Lead back mankind under the dominion of Christ. Practical solutions on social matters. Rightly ordering man's conscience. Okay, governing the wills of individuals. Making one will out of many to impel those to rightly and orderly navigate toward the common good. Flying from forbidden sex, abhor conspiracy, have nothing to do with sedition. And this is, this is where modern ears will go, whoa. 
show reverence and fealty united in love like toward fathers. And I say, wowzes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The how, how often do you have that, you know, right. in this kind of highly partisan world? Because, to quote Leo, uh, Pope Leo XIII, rulers are invested with sacred more than human. So rather than just being like, well, they're just humans, they, if, the Pope would say they have, they've been invested with something sacred that's beyond this. And it's hierarchical. It's not leveled. Yeah. And so they have multiple uh, uh, things that they have to do, of course. But all of that, the, the purpose of this, um, the reason for its being is the common good. Yes. And ultimately for the realization of Christ's kingdom in this world. And, it, you know, and a lot of people, they, they mysticize everything to the point where it doesn't matter the world. It's all... It's, it's, it's extraordinarily Protestant. I mean, it's like borderline Anabaptist. You know, you sit and say, that's a raging heresy, man. I mean, it, the, the popes don't talk that way. Yeah. And so, so th that is, the, that is the, the, um, the origin of civil power, the nature of that, that power, the nature of that authority, the source from whence rulers rule, the purpose and the aim. And then it breaks down, of course, into a lot of different areas of life. I mean, they've right. covered a bazillion. So, I mean, yeah. you could go on forever. Yeah. But that would be the overarching thing for me. Great. No, thanks. Thank you so much, Jeremiah. And you know what? I think that really plays in to the, a little bit of the Byzantine perspective too. So, and again, I know that you're, you're right. You're kind of, you you breathe with both lungs, just like, just like my family did. And, you know, we, we, we sort of breathe more with the Eastern lung these days, but you know, my wife is still, is still a Roman, right? And so we kind of keep that connection, keep that connection going. But, um, you know, it's, it's really interesting if you look at the history of the East and its connection with, with the, the secular, the secular powers, there definitely was, you know, and again, it's all, it can even be seen in the in the symbolism of things like the flag, the Byzantine flag, which is still used um, today on Mount Athos, the double headed eagle, yep, which, yep, you know, yep. can, you can also see in heraldry, you know, the, the European monarchs, etc. But it was the two headed eagle mm -hmm. being the church and the state. Right. But they're connected to the same body. Right. Yeah. And and, you know, in the east. And I mean, I come from uh, sort of similar to your experience, the Slavic um the slavic tradition and you know anyone who's you know read you know even any of the close to modern russian um authors will know that the, the tsar right the emperor played a crucial role not only in like the obviously the political sphere of people's lives but even in 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 the religious right you know mm -hmm. in in the russian language um the Tsar was called Batyushka and Batyushka is like daddy, right? Which is, and again, right. That's sort of like the, the title we give to the Pope, right? Pope, Popa mm -hmm. it means, means daddy. Right. And um, yeah, you know, right. You had, you had your icon, you had your icon corner, which was sort of the, or the home altar in the West. Right. Um, that's the place of the family devotion. And then you had a picture of the, of the Tsar, you know, you had a, you had an inscription of the Tsar because his, his role was, was, was again, seen and felt to be of divine institution, right? You know, I think people yes. kind of, I, at least from my experience growing up 
and, and going to a Catholic school, you know, that whole idea of the divine right of kings, you know, they sort of see that as being a very high medieval, you know, almost secular philosophy that was just used for certain men to, to gain or garner power for a certain period of time and that it died away. But it's, that's not really, that doesn't really match up with the history of Christendom, you know, East and West. And um, one thing I wanted to bring up, because it's a bit more sort of closer to today, but a very, very good example of this is the Union of Brest. So this uh, officially was concluded in 1596. But, you know, basically the decade preceding that really saw the um, origins of that movement for um, reunion with the with with the Pope um, by um, hierarchs in the in the Orthodox Slavic East. And it's an interesting document um, because you would think, right, this is after the Council of Florence, which sort of, you know, worked out more or less the theological issues that were separating the churches at the time. And in the Union of Brest, which takes place roughly 100 years um, after the, the Council of Florence, you know, the theological issues are almost a footnote, like they're, they're addressed in the first few um, sort of canons of the Union, of the Union Treaty. Um, but the rest of the document regards the, like, who would take the role of the Tsar in the church. Mm-hmm. And at first, it was sort of specifically in, in the in the documents, it was specifically mentioned the King of Poland would would take over the role that the Tsar had played um in in the in these churches and then the same even when when the borders changed further on right and austro-hungary kind of took over a large part of um of these churches right that had entered into this union um you know the austrian empire the sorry emperor rather took over those same roles and i mean a lot of this had to do with you know appointment of bishops and and you know the the jurisdictional authority and jurisdictional matters right it was it was taken as one of the most important parts of the union over who would be who would fulfill that role right the the yeah, theological yeah. thing and, and and i mean uh, i i don't know if, if it's something you're you're familiar with but folks who are um who have who have um followed this channel for a little bit know that you know there's a lot of back and forth of uh, about theology with um our orthodox especially the online orthodox um um, people who often will, you know, have spats with Eastern Catholics in particular or unions. Ortho bros. The ortho bros. Yeah, the, yeah, I, the I was, was going to say, I was going to yeah, stay away from yeah. that, but hey, you brought it yeah. up, so I'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll run with it. And they all want to make it about, about theolo- the- theological matters. And, you know, I think, again, like, like you say, they could really benefit from at least more, a wider scope of history because, you know, our ancestors almost what 400 years ago the theological matters were were largely settled and the biggest problem was jurisdictional and that had a lot to do with the role of the king right and um i think one one line so in the in the english translation of the of the uh of the union of breast there is a footnote or rather a preface at the beginning which i thought was really interesting to note and it says this so the articles concerning union with the Roman church, these articles were accepted by the hierarchy of the church in Kiev in three languages, 
Ukrainian, Polish, and Latin. It is on this basis the Church of Kiev is in communion with the Roman Catholic Church. The articles frequently refer to the King of Poland. The function of the King of Poland vis-a-vis -vis the Greek Catholic Church was assumed by the Austrian Emperor. As there is no longer a king or emperor, and the Greek Catholic Church is certainly not state-sponsored, at least in Ukraine, these functions revert to the synod or lapse entirely. So, you know, it's right. It's interesting, right? So even, yeah, you know, the, the, the whole basis of, of my, you know, my ancestral um, church's reunion with, with Rome, right. You know, all the stuff that the stuff that was the biggest issues, they're like, we need to have assurances of all of these things before we can enter into reunion. We're, we're about politics. And I think that that's, you know, it's, it's, it's really, it's really, you know, it's kind of weird, especially for us that kind of like, maybe we're catechized with sort of like a watered down Jesus loves everybody. And that's the end of the gospel sort of catechism that, you know, we're, it's, it, it really, yeah. it really doesn't yeah. prepare us to, to, you know, when, as we come into adulthood to sort of, you know, be prepared to, to address these issues, right. It's, it seems like, you know, we need just as much, you know, political catechism as we do religious catechism in order to be, you know, completely completely formed for the the apostolate in the modern world oh totally 100 percent. yeah yeah it, you know so much of so much of these conversations are political because when you're dealing with religions especially of the magnitude right that that we're talking about here you're talking civilizations in contact i mean this is like the whole enchilada i mean you've got you've got all different aspects and dynamics at play coming in contact with each other. But one thing that they shared in common was the idea that the church and the state, while distinct, that, that they still were in harmony. What is the East have the, the notion of symphonia, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I, I, I find very little issue with this um, because I'm like, I think there's a kind of symphonia in the West. You read the, the popes and they talk about the way that these two are in harmony. The source is, is uh, the same, but they have different functions, different spheres. Um, and I gotta say this, man, to credit, because I did say ortho bros for, for one, I thought it was a term of endearment. I mean, that's the first thing. Uh, number two <laughs> is I'm friends with, with, uh, Jay Dyer. Like I, in real life, we go, we go back, like back way back, uh, when I was still a Calvinist, he, I knew of him, he knew of me. We've followed each other's stories over the years, uh, mm -hmm. talked on the phone. Um, and, uh, to his credit, you know, he's. He's one of those guys that will study the political di dynamics of this conversation. He doesn't agree right. with our side, obviously. He's very anti-West. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I respect that. I, I, I respect that, that he, he studies the way he does. Uh, he's a, you know, kind of one of those uh, um, public figures. It's like almost like a public genius kind of thing. We're a super intelligent guy. Uh, uh, his library is, is beyond respectable. I mean, I hope that he, he has a, uh, you know, some kind of, uh, some kind of thing in, in there to keep the humidity at a certain level. Right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> to make sure that those books last a really long time. Cause you're going to have the J Dyer library one day. And so, but at least there's a starting point where you can talk to somebody mm -hmm. and, and a, a well-informed person, uh, that you have sincere, deep rooted disagreements with. Uh, on the topic of not just religion from the purely theological point of view, but also from the political dynamic of this, and not only national politics, 
but uh, politics regarding um, international affairs and so right. geopolitical matters. And I so I'm throwing respect that way now. Yeah, and you know. You know go sorry, ahead. no. Yeah, I was just going to say. You know, one one uh, question that came to my mind just as you were as you were speaking there, Jeremiah. You know, it's interesting too because I feel like we are at a stage of Christendom. You know, yeah. where like the church exists across so many different, like a, a, obviously worldwide, right? And I mean, that's a, that's a phenomenon in itself, but also, you know, now there are so many different political philosophies or structures in which the Catholic church finds itself in connection with, right? It's no longer, right. The, the Roman emperor or the emperor of Constantinople or the Tsar or the local prince or the king and the church right now you've got you know like canada constitutional monarchies republics like the states and and across you know communist regimes all that sort of stuff and the church now even has tribal to, right even tribal well exactly I mean, yeah so i mean you're talking high structure low structure high culture yeah. low, you know so across the whole thing yeah yeah so that i mean that that to me that's it's sort of like it, it even shows the a greater imperative for Catholics and Christians, you know, across Christendom to sort of understand that this is not something that we can take lightly. You know, the idea of civics, right? The idea of, of politics in general, isn't just, isn't just like a, a, well, you can do that if you're so inclined, but otherwise it's sort of okay to, to sit, sit on the sidelines, right? It's, it's more, it has larger consequences than just, you know, well, I like the red team or I like the blue team and that's who I'm going to vote for in the next general election. Which makes it tough. I mean, it, it makes it tough. You know, I wrote a piece years ago, I think it was on being Catholic and American, right? right. That those, it, it's a tough thing to deal with because you have, you know, um, I voted for Donald Trump, for example, but yet he's out there and says American Americanism is our credo we Americanism is condemned, man. <laughs> like, like we can't, there are certain problems with this, you know? And mm -hmm. so you have, and, and the, the kind of uh, doubt um, cast on certain uh, libertine notions regarding the press or conscience or religion, that that makes it tough. I'm not, I'm not at all surprised. I'm surprised it took so long uh, for, for Protestants to begin asking the question, Hey, you're a Catholic, like with JFK saying, Hey, you're a Catholic. The Pope speaks authoritatively on these issues. They knew, right? They were aware of this. And they said, are you going to obey him? <laughs> right? Like if he, if he says, this is the way things are done, but our country says, this is the way that things are done. What are you going to do? Right. And that's, that's a, an altar we're all on. I mean, that's one of those things you got to say, you know, as children of the, as children of the faith and, and sons of Rome, daughters of Rome, we have a responsibility in this regard. And they, they clarify it over and over and over they insist upon it, our fidelity to it, right? Um, because that is the ultimate fidelity. In fact, we have an inverse here, uh, and this is symbolically um, people can people can see this visually. Yeah. In in America, if you're flying two flags and you have, let's say, an American flag and the Vatican flag or any other flag, the American flag has to be higher than the the religious flag because a lot really? of people will, will have the the Christian flag, the white with the blue square and the red cross in it oh. and, and they'll fly that. And 
if you put one over the other, you'll get you'll get a visit from the old popos. I mean, they'll come to your house, uh, you know, and really? come to your church and talk to you and say, "Hey, look, you know, you have it <laughs> flying wrongly here." And so, wow. But that's that's uh, symbolic in this regard, and that's the inverse right. of what the Catholic Church teaches. So, right. Um, if we use the symbolism right of the two-headed eagle, the church side would be a little bit taller. <laughs> Right. It would be. Yeah. We don't go to consult the state, but the state comes to consult the church. Right. And so, you know, we don't we don't hear the rules of the state and go, well, we do when it regards matters that any matter at all that does not cause us to violate divine law. Yeah. And natural exactly. law. that we if we if we're told, you know, hey, that you know, this doesn't this doesn't violate uh, divine law or natural law, um, the law of the church, then you are uh, faithful to that. You adhere to that. Right, um, because it's lawful. Um, so in that regard, you know, they would they have their sphere, they have their jurisdiction, they have their their duty to complete. Whereas mm-hmm. the church has the same thing, but as I said, the church is in the in the place of providing. Like I said again, to quote because it, it's good. I mean, to say that um, you know to provide practical solutions on social matters, uh, to to provide uh, the. Um, Give me one second. The mm-hmm. the ways and means, right, right. to provide right. the moral the moral standard um, that we can go to. Because otherwise, and this is this is the tough thing to navigate. I don't envy the any pope on this. You know, is to say in a world where where the popes also recognize different cultures, different political models. There's no one model. Right. The church doesn't say you must be that. Mm-hmm. Right now, there are some that they condemn. Right. Absolutely. So so where it's completely leveled, like the, the kind of Occupy Utopia, right? Or Antifa Utopia, uh, or the libertarian utopia. These are mm-hmm. these are two rocks of, of shipwreck. Yeah. Um and that's that's to quote again, that's a phrase that's being used um by the popes that these are these are rocks of shipwreck, you know. So apart from that, those ones would be condemned, right? You still need right. a hierarchy. Mm-hmm. You cannot have it absorb the private sector. Okay, so communism's out. Uh, right. So that's that's a that's a hierarchical state structure that would also be condemned, but the leveling would be condemned, whether libertarian anarchism um, or whether it be left wing anarchism. Um, so, but they have to balance it out. And so it, you yeah. say, well, okay, how do you how do you manage that? And you do it by providing um, instances uh, to say when trading with somebody, here are the principles. When making rules regarding wages and prices. Here are the principles. Issues about usury. Here are the principles. So you can go down a list, mm-hmm. and the list is v- huge. Absolutely. And they provide underlying principles and examples of this. And they use, and it's brilliant. And, yeah. you know, it's, there's, there's gobs and gobs of it out there that people can go to. And the church, is, the church has led the way in that regard, um, and which is why uh, princes and kings and presidents and uh, you know, different people have prime ministers have made their way. Tribal leaders mm-hmm. have made their way to go and consult. Right. And, you know, so when I see that, I know some people are scandalized and say, well, what's that person doing there? You know, and I say, well, they're mm-hmm. doing what the book of Revelation talks about, you know, that the birds of the air and the kings of the earth are bringing in the gifts into this, this Jerusalem, right? They're bringing, mm-hmm. they're coming in and out of the gates and they're, yeah. they're going to this place. And I say, yeah, of course. Yeah, that's us. Right. So, right. you know, yeah. Um, and but it's encouraging, too, because it shows that the church doesn't have to strive to be relevant. They are inherently mm. relevant. Exactly. Um, necessarily relevant by by yeah. by its very nature. Yeah. And so it kind of that is one thing that bothers me is when, 
you get leaders that feel like they got to jazz it up, you know, do puppet shows or something in order to make them feel relevant to the modern world. And I'm like, you don't need that. You've got so much depth and breadth to uh, the reservoir of your wisdom over the ages right. that, you know, you don't need that. No, absolutely. And you know what? I think that that's a great, another great segue there because I wanted to bring up a, a topic that's really close to my own heart. And um, it does have to do with, you know, what, what's the reaction of the church to political philosophies that are antithetical to the mission of the church. And I think obviously the best example is atheistic communism, right? Marxism. And, you know, it's not as widely known as I, you know, as I hope, hope to make it one day, but I always, I always come back to the, the martyrs of communism of the, of the Eastern churches. And, and I, I have a particular focus on the Ukrainian Greek Catholic, but it goes across, you know, Belarusian, Russian, Romanian, Greek Catholics, anyone in the Eastern Bloc, right? So, uh, Slovak, the Balkans as well. And, you know, they're, okay. I, I first, I kind of want to address one, one, one of my, one of my beefs, one of my pet peeves, and it's sort of a, a brainchild of the second Vatican council. And again, you know, we, especially if you're, if you're a, if you're a, a Catholic online, who's gotten any sort of um, experience in the trad world, you know, they love to talk about the, um, the hijacking of the council or the ambiguity, the weaponized ambiguity, ambiguity and all that, all that other stuff, you know, that happened in the Western church. But there was a, how can I say, an almost opposite um, faction that, that arose amongst the Eastern Catholics at the council. And um, it's somewhat related to one of the Melkite um, hierarchs, yeah. um, Elias, um, our Archbishop Elias Zogby. Mm -hmm. But again, uh, I would say a cabal, okay, that's probably too strong of a word, but a block of Eastern, yeah. of Eastern yeah. Catholic prelates who were very much, how can I say, they felt personally that the, since, you know, the several hundred years of reunion that, that we've experienced have, you know, seen a lot of negative outcomes in Latinizations and things like that. And so yeah. that the, you know, the ecumenical call at Vatican II, and especially, and we have um, uh, Unitatis Redintegratio and Orientalius Ecclesiarum, the two documents that specifically talk about that and how the Eastern church, the Eastern Catholic churches need to be, you know, the leaders in the ecumenical movement with the Orthodox. And, and they sort of, in a, in a sense, they hijack that to meant, well, we need to abandon everything that makes our union churches particularly uniate yeah. because they say, well, that just, that just means Latinization. And we just need to adopt whatever is the contemporary praxis of the Orthodox. And that's going to be our new model. And more often than not, at least in my experience, that devolves into, um, you know, Archbishop Zogby's uh, thesis, which was, we accept everything that the church taught for the first millennium, and we are in communion with the Pope of Rome, but on everything else, we follow the Orthodox, and we are in communion with the Orthodox. 
Now, what's the phrase? Is it Orthodox by faith, Catholic by communion? Yeah, some, so, you're right, you're right. Something, yeah, something like that. They'll have little pamphlets at the door sometimes, you know. Yeah. Uh, we've been to many different ones, including Malachite. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you go to the door and they're they're all Orthodox stuff, even stuff that's just outright contradictory to the Catholic faith. Right. So that yeah, that's yeah. sort of the problem that, that we experience, you know, as a result of Vatican II in the, in the East, right? You know, this whole idea that there isn't anything that differentiates us from the orthodox and that no. on most matters we agree with the orthodox and disagree at least implicitly with the catholic with the latin right catholics and i so that that's sort of the the um the the um just the opening statement to my next point which is about the atheistic martyrs of communism and uh, you know what i think that if people were more educated about this they might not because i know a lot of really well faithful well-intentioned eastern catholics that just completely buy into that yeah that zogby position and they say well that's what vatican ii taught so i'm not being you know i'm not being contradictory i'm not being um unfaithful to the church even if you know, I actually don't believe in the Immaculate Conception because my Orthodox right. friends don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to sort of like give it lip service. But actually, you know, if I was in a private conversation, I would, you know, I would say that that dogma doesn't apply to us because yeah. we need to be ortho- we need to be more Orthodox, right? Vatican II said so, right? You know, those, those sorts of arguments. Even even original sin. Right. I, I, right. I had someone tell me one time, they're like, oh, no, we don't, that's Augustinian. And I'm like, it's it's Catholic, <laughs> exactly. It's, it's it's codified at this point. Like you know, every every idea you can find a champion, but once it's codified, it's like that's settled. That's the end of it. Right, and it it comes back yeah. to my to my my previous comment about like the Council of Florence and the reunion documents. Right, if you look like read what you know, right, people be, better men than us, right, yep. who were holy priests and monks and bishops, who who like, like literally like they, they knew that there would be political persecution against them for taking these positions. And they still did because they felt that it was in conformity with the faith and with union with Jesus Christ and the church that he founded. But when we look at the, the martyrs of communism, one thing that so many people overlook and don't, don't even talk about was the fact that so many, so many of these martyrs were offered a way out by conversion to orthodoxy because the orthodox church had become the state run officially sanctioned church of many of these jurisdictions and it was just a piece of paper where you say right right it's a pinch of incense right it's the opposite of the pinch of incense you write down that you completely reject papism and that you will join the local orthodox church and they're just like you know what your church services will be the same right you just won't commemorate the Pope, right? These, these are the kinds of tactics that the KGB and others used, right? It's the same. You won't even have to change your vestments. You're, you, you're right. Honestly, you're just going to go. It's going to be the same. The same people will come yeah. and you'll write. But, you know, you just don't talk bad about the government, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. you, you get, you get to yeah. keep you get to keep receiving yeah. your stipends. Your family gets to be provided for all of those things. And right. And I, th- I think I sent you the list. We um, in 2001, they beatified 27 martyrs and in each one common thread and there was like someone there's nuns priests bishops laity the common thread that unites all of them 
was their rejection of state-sponsored religion in in conformity to jesus christ yeah and when i hear people say you know well i'm eastern catholic but you know there's nothing that really connects me with the with the west there's nothing that really connects me to the pope we just commemorate him as our as our you know our prime hierarch in the in the divine liturgy and i'm just like i would love for those people to have a 15 minute conversation with these martyrs you know exactly. to say yeah. you know how, how how would how would you right if you just say say those exact same words to these people who gave up their lives to avoid becoming orthodox right yeah. and you could say right i mean i'm not i'm not ignorant of the nuance right was it real orthodoxy right you could say it, it wasn't for for a lot of very good reasons however like the modern moscow patriarchy you know is the same jurisdictional body from you know that time. That, yeah. that time right yeah. and you know even the breakaways right oca rocor they're all now in communion with the the patriarch of moscow yeah. And I don't want to get off too far onto that tangent because I could go on about my beef with with <laughs> Moscow, but yeah, yeah, but you know, it's it's just surprising, and I think it comes back to your point about ignorance of history, right? You know, like just read the lives of these martyrs, read read their journal, like read what they wrote, and you know, even some of them, even one of my patrons, um, Omelian Kolch, who was a priest in eastern poland western ukraine and you know what when he was in the maidanic concentration camp you know what and right it's the whole there's no there's no atheists in a foxhole right yeah. you know he was just like i'm the only priest here and i'm ministering you know either through confession or or the divine liturgy to jews and orthodox and catholics he's just like I'm the only priest. Like, I'm not going to say, hey, you Orthodox, you stay over there. You can't come pray with us, you know, when I'm yeah. leading a divine liturgy. Like, they were all united in their in their faith, right? You know, I mean, obviously to the to the degrees, right? Obviously the Jews would be, you know, less likely to to be participants, et cetera. But anyway, um, right, that's I'm not trying to deny the the you know, the real brotherhood that does exist between, you know the the churches what i'm what i personally believe is that as as a unit you know we have almost a 500 year history apart from the orthodox where we've yeah. developed into a separate jurisdictional church with our own traditions some of which have we've adopted from um the latin west but some of some of them are just the same traditions we've always held whereas the orthodox have changed and developed their traditions right you know so that that's just my my, my one point there but to get back to the to the martyrs right the martyrs of the martyrs of atheistic communism you know yeah. they are our prime example of witnessing in the face of governments that are antithetical to the church mm -hmm. and one one uh, quick thing i'm just going to bring up the reference here quick just so that people don't think i'm making this up so in 1930 the soviet authorities declared that there was an epidemic okay i'm going to use my words carefully here there was an epidemic of syphilis and the, the government declared that this was being spread in the in the major population by orthodox veneration of icons 
<laughs> so they enacted yeah, yeah. public health orders. That's how it works, isn't it? I mean, right? you know, I, I, yeah, to exactly. Remove, I mean, it sounds really scientific. <laughs> to remove icons from these churches yeah. and burn them in order to provide for the public health. And that comes from, I'm just going to bring it up here. Um, that comes from, one second, I lost the, the reference here. So that comes from um, a article entitled Forced Secularization in Soviet Russia. Why an Atheistic Monopoly Failed by Paul Froese in the Journal of Scientific of the Scientific Study of Religion from 2004. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there, how can I say, you know, we need to be very, we need to have, you know, the discernment that, that our, our faith our, and our, you know, the knowledge of scripture, the knowledge of sacred tr- tradition of, affords us in discerning when a government or a political body starts to starts to act antithetical to the mission of the church and you know just this kind of idea that well if there if there's such things as public health measures or things like that that the government couldn't possibly be used utilizing those to to harm the church right it's for the public good and isn't that what we've just discussed is one of the primary aims of government well, you know, through the through the 2020 vision of history, we have modern examples of where governments can utilize right all the all the weapons on their tool belt or the weapons in their in their armory um, to attack the church in ways that are subtle that you know may seem at the time well that 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 makes sense. Let's let's go and burn all our icons, right? We're trying to we're trying to. You know, we're trying to afford the public good and the and the public health. So, yeah. you know, and and then on top of that too, right? There's all 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 of the other things um, that you could go into with the with the history of the Soviet Union and the and the persecution, right? The the red the red menace, the, the sorry, the red uh, persecution of the of the churches. But you know, this kind of it's sort of like, right? It's I don't know. I keep coming back to the ignorance of history, but it's like, like how how could we, like I I understand you know people not knowing Florence, people right. not getting the the union of breast, right? And all that stuff, right? That, right? You have to be kind of like a, a nerd like me to kind of even think that that stuff's like cool and worth looking into. But like, this is 20th century. Like, why is this not in our history books? Why, why is this not still talked about, Jeremiah? Yeah. I don't get it. It, it, it really yeah. just seems like the easiest course of action is just to pretend that this these things didn't happen. And, you know, we've got, right, but we've got, world war ii video games and world war ii yeah. movies and all the, the pop culture stuff yeah which completely sidelines like this entire yeah. this entire segment so well we've we've fallen prey to a couple different things number one is that we were defining terms out of context like um in the catholic church a lot of people say well it's for the common good well you could make the argument that it's for the common good that we take everybody's money and spread it equally but that's condemned. <laughs> like, so you can say, well, but it's it's good, isn't it? Good that everybody gets money, and you go, well, you know, everybody would be great, wouldn't it? And isn't it good? And so, like, they'll 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 use common good. But one thing that's awesome about the church with the encyclicals is that oftentimes they'll say uh, common good rightly formed and understood. And so you say, well, yes, it's kind of like conscience, right? right. Um, people say they've given this primacy to the conscience. 
but not a conscience rightly formed, which is um, it's like a, a, either a denial or lack of awareness that you can have a seared conscience. Right. And so you say, well, you know, if you have a seared conscience and conscience is what you're going based on, is that good? You know, you, no, you have to have a rightly formed conscience. You have to know it's not just this magical thing that just makes everything work out great. Um, you know, because one person says, oh, it's, per, you know, it's totally within, you know, I don't have any issue in my conscience when I pay a hooker to have sex. Like there are people who will say that stuff and you'll say, wow, you're kind of depraved. And in fact, they might be right. They, they might be totally degenerate at that point. Um, deviant for sure. Yeah. And you say, but is their conscience bearing witness against them? I mean, we can say we sure hope so, but maybe they have a seared conscience. And so mm -hmm. it, I feel it's the same with common good. Um, yeah. The other thing when you were saying, why, why do people not understand this? Like, I think part of the reason is because we live in this, this era, right, of civilizational uh, situations where um, rationalism, materialism, um, that these things have taken hold, scientism, that they've taken hold, that we've become more eminent. And as we became more eminent, we became more eminent even regarding time. So not just space, but yeah. time. And that that um, that's why news cycles like I, I'm a journalist, right? Yeah. Um, one of the things that really bothers me about news and why I, I would never be working for like TV news, like I would never want to do that, um, is that 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 news cycle is 24 hours and it just never stops. And w you may have a really important topic today and it's just gone tomorrow and nobody cares. And it's right. one of those things where um, they're more concerned about what's happening right now right now, today, at the expense of understanding why what's happening today is happening. Right. And so, but people don't, they, they've, they've lost that sense of, of cause and effect in a way that says, it didn't just come out of nowhere, right? It's right. not just this spontaneous accidental thing that just act, you know, popped up all of a sudden. Um, and, and it's why we give credence even to the idea that a lot of political movements, um, any political movement, especially revolutions, any political right. revolution, mm -hmm. that these things are um, organic and spontaneous. So we say, well, these are spontaneous. And, you know, you can take uh, Rosa Parks as an example. This is a, a very shocking thing to a lot of people, not to people in England who even the writers of Doctor Who got it right, which I thought was kind of remarkable. But that, but that Rosa Parks didn't just one day go to work and then say, I'm not going to take it anymore. Right. She was part of a group that met in private and planned and she was right. trained and they even they even did weather balloons to try to find like, you know, a two, I think it was two young girls at first were the first ones to do this this tactic. But it didn't go over that great in the news because and they needed it to. Um, but it didn't go very great in the news because people were like, well, they're rabble rousing young girls. Right. It was just young people acting up and everything right. else being rebellious. So they, they learned from that and they said, well, we think we need somebody, a woman. And we need a woman who's older, right? And so she volunteered to do this. Wow. And and so people, but that takes away from the myth, right? right? And people right. love the idea that mm. a, a lady just went to work and she was done and got in and it was all spontaneous and random. Yeah. And, and yeah. it just, the, the situation was perfect and ripe for that exact moment. It just happened to be that way. And, and so we treat that even in modern things. Yeah. So if we treat it that way with something from the 20th century, when you start going further back, I mean, goodness gracious, the people, they, they're blissfully unaware yeah. because it makes it, 
it makes it more magical, kind of. It's one right. of the reasons why. Right. But they're they're so consumed by the now mm-hmm. that they don't want to know how now became now it, because it was then, right? And yeah. so they, they've lost that connection and the continuity in time mm-hmm. of past, present, and future. They've right. lost it. And so that is that makes you ripe for a number of very revolutionary things. Right. Um, and especially within the context of a religion that rightly prides itself on being 2,000 years old and it's been talking authoritatively the whole time and getting bigger and bigger and bigger, just like it was prophesied that it would, that it would get bigger and bigger and start to permeate through the hole, right, of the batch mm-hmm. and, and find itself uh, subjecting all things to Jesus Christ until the final yes. thing is death. Yes. And so if you lose track of that, you're, you're, you're just in open waters and you don't even know why you're there. You know, and you're just like, well, I mean, open waters right now. Look, this is crazy. Um, And it makes it makes action to prevent it practically impossible. Right. And so that but that's again, that's all the more urgency to say. But the popes have said, yeah, right. We need to go back and say the popes have said the councils have said, yes, right. the saints have said and that finding our, our place in that continuity in space and in time, which is robust Catholicity. I mean, yes. that's like the, the fullness of it. To say, to enter into the fullness of Catholicity as, as something that's uh, all-encompassing in space and time, that that will help us to rightly form our conscience, to have a right understanding of what's value, mm-hmm. what is right, what is wrong, what we may and what we may not do, what's permitted, what's blessed, what's condemned, and how, in light of our circumstances, we can we can take action in that 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 grand project of bringing all things under the feet of king christ that's right, right? And, and you so, know what? i think that's a, that's a really great that's again i i know i know i'm i'm repeating myself again but i you just you just keep hitting the nail on the head with with segues into the to my final question here so my last question here for you jeremiah is right is is exactly it it really follows on what you were just saying what do we do, right? Jeremiah Bannister, Lyndon the Badger Dad, 2021. You know, it's great that we're able to have this conversation and maybe get some more people to to, to critically evaluate their understanding of politics and history and the church and and what what the connections are. But what what should people do? What should people do when they think of like, okay, you know, the next you know the next election isn't that far away right either in the states or or in canada right and we live in a very right we live in a very different i don't want to i don't want to say too different because obviously you know this kind of situation we find ourselves in has happened to a greater or lesser degree in in history but you know we're we're in interesting times to say the least where a lot of it has to do with political power you know, control of the narrative via the media. How should Catholics see their relationship to the state 2021 going forward, Jeremiah? I'll, I'll read three things, okay? I wrote down the pages, and I'm, I'm glad I did because I have a section here on my computer I put putting into practice, okay? And um, the Pope's here. Let me see which one this is from. I believe it's, it's John the 23rd. Mm-hmm. I think it's mother and teacher, if I remember correctly. I might be wrong. But uh, right here, there are three stages which should normally be followed in the reduction of social principles into practice. First, one reviews the concrete situation. Secondly, one forms a judgment on it in the light of these same principles. 
Thirdly, one decides what in the circumstances can and should be done to implement these principles. These are the, the three stages that are usually expressed in the three terms, look, judge, act. He goes on, says, needless to say, when the hierarchy has made a decision on any point, Catholics are bound to obey the directives. The church has the right and obligation not merely to guard ethical and religious principles, but also to declare its authoritative judgment in the matter of putting these principles into practice. These, then, are the educational principles which must be put into effect. In performing this task, which is a noble one, they must not only be well qualified in their trade or profession and practice it in accordance with its own proper laws, they must also bring their professional activity into conformity with the church's social teaching. Their attitude must be one of loyal trust and filial obedience to ecclesiastical authority. And talking about if you fail in these obligations, right, that they go so far as to discredit, there are people who will discredit, uh, bring discredit on the church's teachings, lending substance to the opinion that in spite of its intrinsic value, it is in fact powerless to direct men's lives. I don't even have to go beyond that. Other than to say 20, I have one more, and this is shorter, but it's when I said you can't just pray, right? And it's, uh, let's see here, number seven, right here. We, we must ex uh, exert ourselves to hasten the work of God and not merely by praying assiduously. Quote, arise, O Lord, let not man be strengthened, but more important still, by affirming both by word and deed in the light of day, God's supreme dominion over man and all things so that his right to command and his authority may be fully realized and respected. And so it's not just elections. In fact, elections are chump change in the grand scheme. They're important, right? I don't, I don't want to totally cast it under the bus here. But we get so wrapped up in that because it makes good for media. It makes good for the moment, right? It makes good for oratory. And I, I like a good order. I'm a public speaker, so I like oratory. At the same time, um, you know, if, if people were to write down the words said during some of their favorite speeches and read them instead of hear them, they would find them to be extraordinarily shallow and not much directive, simply rah-rah cheerleading stuff. That's it. And so, so but it, it's not just elections. It would be, what are you doing? And I, I love this about the church. And it's one of the reasons why I like uh, St. Jose Maria Escriva is the idea that your, your life and your work, your vocation is liturgical, that it begins every day with the mass and, and divine liturgy. And then your, what your calling is in your life when you've discerned this and you've, you've asked God, what is my calling? That that's like an altar and that you're putting, you've got all of the, the sacred vessels there. You've got your readings there. You've got your prayers here. You've got your life situated in such a way that you are maximizing the gifts and talents that God has given you in this world for your use, for the betterment, not just of yourself and the eternal salvation of your soul, but also for others and not just others around you, but the, the, the repercussions of that in the future, the way that that plays out, which is why we, we have such a strong view on children and the raising and rearing of children, the education of children and, and the, the, the transgenerational continuity of covenant people. That's why. And so you sit there and you say, but that's, that, that, that's a mandate for the practical person. It's not so grand anymore. You don't need to have all the books. You don't need to have, you know, the, these grand desires to be a, a leader, not even a delegate, you know, that you have to be a good, a good worker, 
Do your best at being a parent. Do your best at being a parishioner. Do your best across the board. And if you do your best to apply those principles in the light of day and to adhere to the church's teaching and you apply those things robustly in your life, praying more and more every day, God, use me. You do that, you are, you are doing what you must do. You're doing what you ought to do, but you're doing what you must do. And God will honor and bless that like he did with the widow's might. You think you don't, have, listeners listening right now might think, well, I'm just a regular person, right? I'm just a, a bagger at a grocery store. Or I work at a gas station. Or I, you know, I'm, I'm over folding clothes at Target or something. What, what can I possibly do? Fold those clothes the best you can. Dead serious. Fold them the best you can. Be, be the person who's on time, the person who's prompt, the person who doesn't smell like garbage, right? That doesn't look like you came in after an all-night binge thing, right? Um, order your life in such a way, and not just your work, but, but your leisure, in such a way that in all things, not only are you prayerful, but in all things, every word, every action, every thought is giving glory to God. If you do that, that's accessible. Everyday people, everyday people, it's accessible and it's powerful, and it's church teaching. And we're back. Thanks so much. We had a little bit of technical difficulty there. Uh, it was on my end this time. It wasn't Jeremiah's yeah. internet, but so the, the angle on the camera looks a tad different. But anyway, a little bit. <laughs> you can now see we put a lot of effort into our icon corner. So now you can kind of see uh, the the main kind of image that's right there. Um, my wife uh, wrote it's an uh, icon of uh, the image of Christ not made by human hands. And um, yeah, it's our one of our only actual icon icons rather than a print or a what what we, what we call holy images rather than written icons. But anyway, thank you so much, Jeremiah, for uh, giving us your time today. I think I've learned a lot. I, I learned a lot more than I expected to. And I don't know why I didn't expect to learn as much because you were a tremendous um, intellect on these issues. And, yeah. um, so, uh, Jeremiah, do you have anything you wanted to, um, uh, talk to the audience about things coming down? Obviously yeah. check out paleocrat diaries and, um, uh, paleocrat on YouTube, paleo cheese, your alternate, yeah. um, podcast there. So yeah. anything else coming down the, coming down the, pipe? yeah, I, um, actually I have a paleo cheese episode we're recording later on today about stupid things that kids do. Uh, growing up and so it's a lot of fun you know um, we talked about grief on the last one which was a really emotional one but it was also funny yeah. I mean we, it's almost always funny yeah um, but we also we, we talk about issues like that but no I um, it, it's kind of funny because this is my first time kind of uh, re since my re-emerging into the the digital world again because I had gone on a digital hiatus I had stopped doing my show I was doing a daily show I stopped doing that um, in part because of my what I said earlier about like space and time and current events and yeah. people's obsession with it and how you can do a live show and do two, three hours and it's awesome and everything else. But within two days, people are moved on. So, you know, I said it has to be more thematic. So I so I'm, I'm focusing more now on thematic things, family issues, uh, church and state stuff. Right. Um, politics, economics, all that. Um, so I'm going to be doing a lot more of that and talking about digital minimalism and even media theory, something wow. making it even for kids, uh, to talk about, you know, why I think that, that it should be taught in schools and how kids should 
uh, be aware and have a media theory, in fact, when they even begin to approach the Internet and things like that. Um, so that's all that's all coming up. But I, I had just shared a video uh, about giving an update about my mother-in-law. Um, yes. She was in a severe car accident. My brother-in-law died. Uh, my wife's only Sorry. sibling, you know, and so uh, he passed away. And my mother-in-law has severe brain damage. And so um, it's going to be, as far, barring a miracle, and we believe in those, so you're welcome to pray. In fact, we yes. strongly encourage you uh, to pray not only for her, her name is Anne, but also my wife, who her name is Angela, because this has been really hard. And so I, it was good that I was away. It wasn't the reason I was away, but it ended up, the timing of it was perfect. But yes. I'm re-emerging. And, and I said, I, I'm going to start doing more stuff and, and posting more and everything else, and I'm working right now. Uh, I, I've been working for a long time on a novel about my daughter's life and death, but I'm also right now uh, wrapping up the final edits and stuff of uh, poetry, prose, speculative fiction that I've written uh, over the years. Uh, when I won the Creative Writing Award, it was for my poetry and my, my speculative fiction. And so I decided, well, why don't I just publish these? It's already in a literary journal. Why don't I publish those myself yeah. and add the other stuff I've done over the years? And so th that's going to come out. And I've been working, last thing, I've been working with my son, uh, who endured a, a, a crash course on media theory in order to get this. But he, he now is creating uh, Bed Wars, Minecraft Hypixel Bed War oh, videos. Okay. Cool. And it, they're hilarious. <laughs> I mean, you know, he, he, I'll just say this. He, his recent one um, is how... It was really terrible. He went on. I give him about an hour, hour and 15 minutes to record. And yep. he had to learn to edit. He had to learn to produce, to find music, to understand yep. copyright, stuff like that. Um, he's 14. And he had to learn voiceovers so that he can speak in real time, but also learn to do voiceovers after the fact in post-production. Yeah. But the, he, he played. It's, it's the worst gameplay I've ever seen. I mean, he's... <laughs> It was it was so bad, and he was he almost <laughs> wanted to scrap it. He was really depressed about it. He came up and he's like, "Papa, you know, it's so terrible." And I said, "You're going to use it." And he's like, "No, I don't. I, this is embarrassing." And I said, "But that's the point. Like, yeah. the shtick with this um, is, and it's not a shtick. That's the wrong word to use. Um, the the gist of it is never give up. Keep on smiling. Okay, which is two of the three things that I said at the end of my show." And it's part of the network we're going to be launching here. Uh, and I, I won't give any more details beyond that. But that he, um, at the end, he said, you know, he said, you got you to gotta give it your best. And some days it's worse than others, but you got to start somewhere. Yeah. And, you know, he's like, and it goes to prove that sometimes you may give your best and your best just isn't good enough. <laughs> and he laughed about it. It was a hilarious line, you know. And then he said, uh, you know, and, and look, he said, if you play as bad as I just did, then it doesn't take a lot to play better next time. And so he said, I hope that this made your day. So it's, it's really cute. It's fun. Yeah. It's encouraging. And it's, it's uh, an escape to be able to laugh at another person's failure without hurting their feelings. Cause they're the <laughs> ones that published it, right? They're the ones that said, come laugh at me, have fun. And I hope it brightens your day. So awesome. he's doing that. I'm helping. I'm, I'm the one That's publishing great. them. Uh, so awesome. I'm, I'm the manager of his stuff. Uh, and so he's only a couple days a week. He'll he'll post those. I think he's got that's three cool. right now. But that's that's what I'm doing. And uh, awesome. if they'd like to find out more, you can uh, you can find me over at paleocratdiaries.com, and of course paleocratdiaries at gmail.com if you'd like to reach out to me. Great. Thank you so much. And of course, um, you can also support us here at the Byzantine Life. Um, 
through byzantinelife.com. We are on Patreon, PayPal, and all the different social medias, Facebook, Twitter. We do technically still have Parler, although it's not updated as frequently as others, but we're even on Spurn and all those other places which you can support us, um, myself, the Badger Dad, and Kyleshka. And um, I think to close out, you know what? I think we should really offer this up, uh, uh, this last prayer, Jeremiah, for uh, your family, um, for the 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 repose of um, of your brother-in-law's soul, and for healing um, for your mother-in-law and for your whole family. So, um, why don't you lead us off here, um, Jeremiah, in our closing prayer? All right. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's truly right to bless you, O God-bearing one, as the ever-blessed and immaculate mother of our God. More honorable than the cherubim, and by far more glorious than the seraphim. Ever a virgin, you gave birth to God the Word. O true mother of God, we magnify you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Name the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Name the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to Jesus Christ. Yeah.